Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Hey, it's John here. The podcast hasn't technically started yet. It'll be long in a minute, I promise. But before we get going, I just wanted to basically ask you all for a favour. You're all very nice people. You've all been listening to us uh, enthusiastically, I hope. So, so now I want something in return. I'm not going to ask for money, don't worry. What I would like, though, is if you had five minutes to give us a nice review on iTunes and to tell your friends, because we'd like to get more people listening to this, and we think you're the best people to help us do that. So go on. Be nice. Do us a favour. Anyway, that's the public service announcement over. I now return you to your normal podcast service. This is a Manhattan-bound B Express train. The next stop is Grand Street. Mind the gap. Welcome to Skylines, the City Metric podcast. I'm Barbara. And I'm John. And this week we're talking about the end of the world. Are there really alligators in the New York sewer system? Is London really littered with bottles of discarded uber piss? What's the world's smallest skyscraper? So, back in June, a a national disaster befell the United Kingdom. Uh, I I personally have been in a state of uh, depression, frankly, ever since. I'm not quite sure how a way of life is ever going to recover from this. Nothing is ever going to be the same. Barbara, you're leaving us. I am. Bar-Bexit. Bar-Bexit is a reality. I thought we'd decided on Bar-Brexit. It sounds... Bar-Bexit. It's not great, whatever you try and do with it. I mean, this episode is called Bar-Brexit. I warn you of that now. So I've already decided on this. Yeah, I've even messed up my own leaving name. So (laughs) great start for me. Great Great work, Barbara. Well done. Nice finish. (laughs) Yeah, stumbling out as I stumbled in. Uh, But yes, I am leaving uh, the New Statesman and City Metric in about a week and a half's time, frighteningly. Uh, to go to the Eye, where sadly there is no City Metric podcast. So this will be my last episode. But don't worry, the the podcast is going to continue. I'll tell you a little bit about how how I'm going to do that one later. But yeah, in all seriousness, you are you are going to be a great a great loss to us. You've been you know you've been with City Metric since the beginning. You are, I think it's fair to say a major part of of the reason for our, our success. And, um, and also the reason why the site doesn't just look like a map of the inside of my head. <laughs> so so I am going to miss you, and I'm sure the listeners are too. And to wave goodbye, I thought what would be nice is 
In this episode, we're going to do a couple of your greatest hits. Uh, we're going to ask a couple of questions that I have probably fired over to you in an email over the last couple of years. We're going to talk about the stories they, they led to. Question one. Are there really alligators in the New York sewer system? The answer to this question, very surprisingly, is yes. I remember John and I talking about this very, very early on before City Magic even existed, and we thought that's something people will want to know the answer to, probably because it's complete rubbish. Um, but as my resultant article shows, um, there is in fact loads of evidence that there are alligators in the New York sewers. Um, I mean, how, how many alligators are we talking here? Is there like a whole? Is there an entire species down there? What we've what? so basically, there are a few, probably because mad posh people have put them down their toilets when they've realized that they did not in fact want a souvenir alligator from their travels to florida um so there have been a couple of high profile sightings um one of which appeared in the new york times in i think 1935 um and had probably the most extreme headline i've ever read i don't know if you want to do a Shall dramatic I do the headline? reading yeah, yeah. okay um i'm, I'm not going to try this old timey new york accent because I, I i won't pull it off but i will nonetheless i'm going to give you a dramatic reading here Alligator found in uptown sewer. You shoveling snow into manhole, see the animal churning in icy water. Snare it and drag it out. Reptile slain by rescuers when it gets vicious. Whence came it is mystery. Yeah, and that's just the headline of the story. So it was quite a... They had longer headlines in those days. Yeah, that's, I, I mean, that's like four decks. So. It was obviously a very exciting moment uh, for New York City. The other highlight of doing this piece, actually, was that I came across a New York historian called Michael Mission. Sorry if I mispronounced that, Michael. Um, who founded something called Alligators in the Sewers Day, uh, dedicated to the fact that this is a very real phenomenon um, and at which he gives out small toys of alligators. So do go next year if you're around. Yeah, and there's a couple of lines from that piece I particularly enjoyed, one of which is, at this year's event, there were speakers and a quiz and the first 100 guests received a free plastic baby alligator. But even more excitingly, Michael glancingly referenced the fact that New York sewers are actually swarming with snapping turtles which no one seems to really care about at all and then when I said that this was slightly weird he just said they're not nearly as exotic or dangerous as alligators and they're native to this area so what's the big deal no one cares about snapping turtles which really shut down my thought there I mean, I feel that's a bit harsh on the on, on the snapping turtles. But, I mean, the, the stories of alligators in the sewers do seem to be... They go back a bit. I mean, this seems to be an early 20th century thing. So it's possible there aren't any that are still snapping their way around there now. Um, but the other thing I found really interesting in this piece was that there was also... A, a, in 1984, an alligator was spotted under the Pont Neuf Bridge in Paris... Mm. Which, I mean, that, that raises questions for me. It's like, I mean, at least with the New York story, you have a plausible narrative of how, how exactly the alligators got there. But what, what the hell is this, this Nile alligator doing in Paris in the 80s? Yeah, because, I mean, if geography isn't your specialism, uh, Egypt and France are not massively <laughs> close together. Um, so it would be quite a journey for an alligator to make its way across all the way to Paris. It was christened Eleonore and still resides in an aquarium in the city of Vannes. So. Which frankly sounds like a kind of Ratatouille-esque Pixar film waiting to happen. Right. So if there are any producers out there looking for an inspiring animal-based tale, I think that's your next candidate. Also, I think you, you wrote this story in 2014. So, like, you know, alligators live for 30 years. I didn't know that. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of things you learned. I, I say I didn't know that. I edited this, but I didn't recall that. 
So yeah, I think one, animals are one of those things that we talk about a surprising amount on City Metric, not just because people like cute animal pics, but uh, you got any other funny animal stories that you want to talk about before you go? I once did a fairly kind of upsetting piece about um, exotic animals kind of going wild in cities, um, which started as a kind of hilarious uh, joke in the office because I think we saw a video of a llama running through a city. But actually it turns out that whales often beach themselves quite tragically on beaches. There was once a zoo in the US, a private zoo owned by a a rich guy, um, who then managed to release all of these animals, which were then kind of brutally shot on the fields outside a small town. So, um, yeah, animals don't always have the happiest endings when they try and live in cities. I remember actually a whale swam up the Thames in 2005, 2006. Um, Yeah, it was January 2006 because I just left a job and... Uh, my now wife and I went out with with a bottle of uh, cava to sit by the Thames, celebrate the fact I'd escaped a job I didn't like very much, and whale watch. And and that was quite a, that was quite a sweet story. Except like overnight, the whale died horribly. So yeah, and they usually actually explode um, oh, because the bacteria in their stomachs kind of multiplies. Anyway, <laughs> okay, a, a happier animal story before we move on is. Did you know there is a breed of mosquito, sorry, a species of mosquito um, called the London Underground mosquito that lives entirely in the tunnels in the London Underground and is no longer capable of breeding with any other mosquito, which is what makes it a separate species? I did not know that. Like, a great story. Human infrastructure is affecting the evolution of, of animals. There's also um, there's a team of researchers doing uh, mapping the bacteria that live on the world's subway systems. So there you go. Question two. Is London really littered with bottles of discarded Uber piss? So amazingly, the answer to this question is also probably yes. Um, This was actually inspired by a tweet our great colleague Caroline sent me that she saw online where someone basically said, my taxi driver told me that he pees into a bottle and then throws it onto the road. Um, And subsequent digging I did basically showed that this is true Um, for much less funny and happy reasons, which basically are that uh, Uber drivers don't have access to any kind of facilities that Uber provides. Uh, and also in a, in a city like London, where there are vanishingly small numbers of public toilets, uh, they really don't have many other options. Yeah, the thing I thought was interesting about this story was that it does seem to be... You can kind of see how the system pushes people towards this. A couple of years ago, Uber introduced uh, a guaranteed hourly rate for drivers... But to get that rate, they had to hit certain targets. They had to accept 90% of ride requests. They had to be online for 50 out of every 60 minutes. They had to complete at least one ride an hour. Um, all of this apparently was designed to stop them from you know, basically moonlighting and working for other uh, app-based cab companies at the same time. Um, but it does mean that you probably can't afford to take 10 minutes out of your hour to buy some food and, and therefore use a toilet in McDonald's or whatever without losing money. So you're kind of forced to stay in your car and find other solutions. Yeah, and I mean, if you think about it, there's you're paying for parking most likely. You're then paying for the coffee in the Starbucks or, yeah, the sausage roll in wherever else. So once you add it up, you've kind of lost an entire hour's worth of earnings, which why would you do that if you didn't have to? Um, so this then led to some quite kind of disturbing investigations of Uber to Uber driver forums where people chat about their kind of methods for doing this um so people were giving each other advice on what kind of bottles would work 
slash bits. <laughs> I don't want to get too explicit here. But apparently vitamin water bottles, if anyone is looking for a useful research. Is there, is there an element of bragging that goes on and goes, well, personally, I can't use a bottle with a neck that small. Is it I haven't like... thought about that, but actually that might have been partly what this was. <laughs> yeah. I think the other thing about it is it does really sh- highlight the differences between cities. So I think there were um, drivers in, say, smaller towns or especially in America who were like, why don't you just go to the 24-hour Walmart? Which, if you live somewhere like London, you're like, obviously, you know there's nowhere to go to the toilet when you really need it. Um, so I think that it does kind of highlight the fact that they should work a bit harder to have public toilets here, basically. Well, the... Um the pub down the road from from City Metric Towers is part of a, a, a scheme of the City of London where it keeps its bathrooms open to the general public rather than expecting people to to buy a drink before they can use them, which is quite handy because at a risk of unglamorising ourselves, there aren't quite enough toilets in this building for the number of people who work here. So sometimes I do find it easier just to kind of leave the building and go to the pub. Yeah, well, a very unglamorous but suitable next step for City Metric would be to have a city-wide map of places where you can, in fact, go to the loo. <laughs> Useful for Uber drivers and office workers like us alike. This is, this is, I think I've mentioned my grandmother's stories before, actually, but this is an, an, another thing my grandmother used to say about five-year-old John, which suggests I was always destined to do this job, was that as a, as a five-year-old, I knew where every public toilet in Romford was, just in case. Oh, wow, so. well. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Do the same for London and you've got yourself a business. So I mean, before we move on, we've, we've written a lot about Uber. You've, you've particularly written a lot about Uber. What are we... Where are we coming down on this one? Is it a terrible thing that's that's wrecking a, you know good honest cab industries, or is it, or is it actually just offering a better service at a price people want? So I really kind of swing on this one. My initial instinct is people never like new things; they never like new things that challenge old things. So I think a lot of the kind of anger around this comes from that. And I do think that actually, if you're offering a cheaper cab to people 
there's nothing inherently wrong with that. I'm not sure I totally sympathise with uh, the cab drivers union on their problems with Uber. But I there's think there's a lot of vested interests going yeah, on there, isn't exactly. there? Exactly. So interestingly, I suppose from my city metric point of view, I kind of think let them if you're going to cab, cab. Why not? But then when I moved over to start doing more techie stuff, actually looking at the ways these sharing industry companies work, I started to be like, mm, no, this is not good. I think the big problem with it is that drivers say things like, oh, it's the only flexible way for me to work. It's, um, it's better because I don't have to do certain hours, blah, blah, blah. But they are exchanging that for worse pay. And I think what's rubbish is that no one's saying, look, we need both. We need flexible hours and proper workers' rights, that, you can't, that those things can't exist at the same time. Um, it does seem to fit into this narrative where, you know, rich, privileged Silicon Valley types think that anything that disrupts capitalism is inherently a good thing. Um, and it, a lot of the time that does just mean slashing workers' rights and regulations that we've built up over many decades, some of which are there for a reason. Like there is a yeah. very good reason why we expect people to be able to afford, you know, sick pay or holidays or maternity leave or whatever. And and if we're moving to a world in which uh, the sharing economy like Uber is is going to be the norm, then we need to find ways of keeping those things, I think. Yeah, it's a real sort of devil's bargain where they're arriving and they're offering far greater sort of convenience, um, far more flexibility. And they're saying, oh, well, the exchange you make for these things are workers' rights, are these kind of left-wing ideas. But actually, I think that's complete rubbish. They're just doing that because it increases their bottom line. Um, so I think that people need to stop buying into that quite so much. Yeah, and you know, I, I don't have a problem with companies trying to increase their bottom line. That's kind of that's literally their job. They're answerable to their shareholders and so on. But there is a reason we should expect government to step in sometimes and say, you know, this far and no further. Yeah. Regulations are there for a reason. And that there's been this outcry about zero-hour contracts. I mean, this is the pushing this pu- pushing zero-hour contracts to an even greater endpoint in which you don't even have a contract. So I think it's odd, I think, that the left hasn't jumped on this as much as you'd imagine they would. I think they think that anything tech is progressive, anything kind of app-based is progressive. But actually, I think a lot of this stuff is quite regressive for workers themselves. Do you think that might be because a lot of noisy people on the British left live in places where it's quite useful to get a, an Uber sometimes? Yes. Because my, my, my original problem with Uber wasn't based on anything around the ethics of the company it was because it kept failing to deliver me cabs when I wanted them <laughs> yeah it makes it a lot easier to be morally outraged yeah. <laughs> but uh, now I've uh, I mean I don't want to brag but I've now got a five star rating so I, now I think it's a fine company <laughs> we're very pro yeah, very pro question three what's the world's smallest skyscraper uh, the answer to that question, we don't actually know, uh, because the piece that I've written under that headline isn't really about the world's smallest skyscraper. I mean, there aren't great definitions for what a skyscraper is, but it's normally about 100 metres or more. It's about, I thought 30 stories is generally where we Yeah, there are varying definitions, but the one... But the building that, where just a high-rise. So. Yeah, exactly. The building we're talking about is 12 metres tall, which is about four stories. So really, it shouldn't even be included in the debate, but it's a completely crazy story. So we wrote about it anyway. So this goes back to uh, the discovery of oil in in Texas in in around 1912. Uh, The owner of an oil company, J.D. McMahon, was living in a place called Wichita Falls, which even now is not a huge city. I looked it up to 150,000, which is, that's the size of Oxford. This is not a big place. But, you know, he had an oil company. And what do you want to do if you've got an oil company? You probably want to build a skyscraper and put your name on it. 
So he came up with a plan to build a skyscraper on a vacant lot in, in the town. And the plan showed it would be 400 feet tall, which is, you know, that's about 146 metres. That's not bad, considering the city of Wichita Falls is only about 40 years old at that point. You know, that's a reasonably good height. So he took those blueprints to investors who gave him about $200,000, which may not sound like a lot, but um, I calculated at the time that would be around $2.7 million. So really, he's doing pretty well. Uh, So he started building the building, everything was going great, and then eventually the investors realised that something had gone wrong. Um, Because on these blueprints, um, I don't know if, if perhaps if you're used to the metric system, you might not know this, but an inch is usually represented by a pair of speech marks and a feet a foot is represented by one so basically on his blueprints he had put two next to every single figure so this was actually a 480 inch tall building which they had invested all this money in uh, so they tried to bring a lawsuit against him but the judge basically said look guys this was on the plans you can't really complain now um and I've known this story for like a year and a half and still saying it out loud. It's just so, so wonderfully yeah. ridiculous this actually happened. Yeah, so this is a 12-foot-long building, 9 feet wide and 40 feet tall. Uh, it gets better, actually, because there was no room for a lift. Um, but on the plans, because they were expecting a lift, they hadn't put in any stairs. <laughs> so originally they built it in such a way you couldn't even get from one floor to another without leaving the building and going up the fire escape. <laughs> Yeah, and so for a very long time, basically, McMahon then fled, presumably with the rest of his money, having carried out perhaps the greatest uh, scam in the history of America. Uh, But then the block was kind of just still there. And I think it kind of symbolizes kind of awful optimism of that boom oil era, uh, which then kind of didn't come to fruition, just as this very tiny skyscraper didn't either. Uh, So it kind of was occupied by a string of different shops, cafes, barbershops. And then it kind of fell quite derelict uh, and was just an embarrassment. But as a happy ending now, it's kind of a tourist attraction. It's been slightly done up again. There's a plaque there um, and you can go and see the world's smallest skyscraper. So if you're ever in the Wichita Falls area, then uh, why not check it out? So do you think skyscrapers actually matter to a city? Uh, Do you need them in a modern city? Because, I mean, obviously they're, they're quite... They look like they're quite an efficient use of space, but it feels like a lot of the cities that are really sort of building the, you know, get, getting in the, sort of the big name architects to build them, they're doing it to, they're basically waving their willies around, right? Yeah, I think they are. But I mean, as this story kind of demonstrates, having a signature building, even if it's an incredibly ridiculous one, can actually be kind of an asset if you recognise that that's all that it is. Uh, I think that, I mean, when I think of cities, I think it is nice to have something to kind of cling on to, which is a weird, I mean, Shanghai is a weird skyscraper shape, like a bottle opener. We have the gherkin, we have the shard. I mean, obviously these buildings were not built to look like sensible adult endeavours. Uh, but I think that it can be nice just to give, I mean, there's a reason we we talk about skylines, we use skylines. There's something kind of symbolic about that, that kind of silhouette of a city. Do you have a favourite skyscraper? It might well be the bottle opener um, in Shanghai. There's another one there actually called the Jin Mao uh, skyscraper, which is kind of almost art deco and it's really very beautiful. But then again, that's not what skyscrapers are for. So I'm going to go for the bottle opener instead. I really like um, the big arch, the, the, the Grand Arch at La Défense in Paris, um, which is pretty hideous, to be honest. But what I like about it is the way it's arranged in such a way that 
it's like it would focus, you get a beam of light that can go through that and then through the Arc de Triomphe and then would land at the Louvre and it's just you know, that level of, of planning. Yeah, very Da Vinci code. Yeah. <laughs> All of that. This is a Brooklyn-bound A Express train. The next stop is Dykeman Street. So, I'm sure you're wondering... What's going to happen to this podcast now? Is it just going to be me talking into a microphone saying, you know, I like buses? Everyone's I'd... greatest dream. Yeah, and it's like, if, the, if, that's, if that's what you want, then you can find my details online, and I'm sure it comes from some private arrangement. <laughs> um, but no, no, we're very lucky that, um, having said that it would be irreplaceable, I have found someone to replace you, I'm afraid. Not a classic. Yeah. Uh, our colleague uh, Stephanie Boland from the New Statesman has very kindly agreed to step in and take over on the co-hosting duties from from the next episode. Stephanie's got some some uh, fantastic ideas for stuff we're going to do on future episodes, including a, an actual rock star is going to come in and talk to us about what it's like playing in different cities. And, you know, seriously, someone from a band you will have heard of, I promise. Uh, so I'm quite excited about that because I'm a 90s kid. So, because it's nice to have a, a handover in these things, why don't we hear from Stephanie now? Hi, John. Hello. So, um, you, you like cities. We're all about cities here. What do you like about cities? I do like cities. I'm, I'm from a city. I live in this great city. I think, I think our interests are slightly different in that I, I like all the maps and the wonkish, nerdy stuff that you do, if that's not an offensive way of describing your being. No, no, nerd pride. Nerd yeah. pride. <laughs> but I think my interest in cities is always going to do with culture and the people in them um, more than the infrastructure side of things. So I, outside of my New Statesman life, I'm doing a PhD on 20th century literature and I do a lot of work on Europe and on writing and art and how people interact with city space. So hopefully between us we can cover kind of a range of a range of territory, you might say. I, I, I can do maps and transport and you can do maps and psychogeography and between us we can do the whole... Yeah, I'll, I'll do kind of feelings and, you know, buskers and... Cool, it's going to be cool. awesome. Hi, City Metric listeners. Oh, yeah, go follow her on Twitter. That's the other thing you should do. Yep, I am Stephanie Boland. That's B-O-L-A-N-D. Not like the Forest of Boland, for those of you who like maps. And have <laughs> heard of that place. Yeah, follow me. Come chat to me about cities. And obviously, you can't actually see what I look like, but it may comfort you to know that we do look slightly alike. And I've both got brown hair. I so you could almost pretend uh, that nothing has changed. I don't think you look anything like each other. I mean, you both have brown hair and are reasonably tall. Well, unnamed uh, colleagues in our office have mixed this up on multiple occasions. So I'll just leave it at that. I, I think also, like, um, on, on, on the, the emojis for slack that Stephanie made for everyone, most of the women look kind of the same. True. So... So yeah, no, it's 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 a bright future, but you know, obviously, you know, it's very dark without you. We're going to yeah. miss you terribly. Goodbye for now. So, and um, before you go, though, one last question: What's your favourite map? My favourite map. I'm probably sick of maps now, so the end of time. But no, my favourite map. Um... <laughs> the bitterness with which you said that. <laughs> <laughs> I can let it saying, all out. Now. I'm going to say I'm going to say it's a joke, but it's not really a joke. I hate maps. I hate maps. No, they have their uses, certainly. Uh, no, my favourite map is probably uh, one I think we've talked about on the podcast before, which is called the True Size Map, um, because it 
exposes the tyranny of maps and how they actually show everything is the wrong size and you can realise things such as that Texas is the size of Europe, basically. Um, so I really enjoy playing on that and so should you. You should all go and try it and remember me when you do. Thank you, Barbara. You've been listening to Skylines, the City Metric podcast. It was presented by John Ledge and Barbara Speed and produced by Royfield Brown. Our theme music is Dust from the Stars by Charlie Charles. You also heard The Weather by Destinazione Altrove and Embryonic Waves, composed by Matthew Weitzel. All music in the show is licensed under Creative Commons. You can find Skylines every two weeks on Acast and on iTunes, where you'll also find two more shows by our excellent colleagues, Seriously and the News Statesman Podcast. In the meantime, you can find all the stories about cities, maps and geography you could possibly want on our website, citymetric.com. You can also talk to us on Twitter and on Facebook, where there's a pretty good chance we'll talk back. And if you wanted to leave a review to tell your friends how lovely we are, well, we'd very much appreciate that. Thanks for listening. Is that the end? I don't know. Thank I thought you, that was a John. nice. I thought that was a nice note to end on. I thought I could. Oh, thank I didn't you know if I was meant to respond. No. <laughs> also, like one of the one of the recurrent themes of this podcast has been like you laughing awkwardly at my jokes in the background. <laughs> so in some ways, it's quite you know, keep all of this in. Yeah. Very meta. Laughing. Yeah. Well, yeah. See yeah. how it sounds, and then yeah. whichever. All right. Yeah. Got it off anyway. This is a Manhattan-bound B Express train. The next stop is. Grand Street. Mind the sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Street.